Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise podcast. Uh, guest on this edition is senior columnist from The Athletic. And a guy who I'm sure misses spending his Sunday nights taking the extra spaces out of my columns, John Greenberg. It was, a, it was an honor. It was an easy edit. You were a really easy edit. You just had to take away some of the jokes that might get me fired. <laughs> um, the stuff that would cause people like Cardinals fans to complain on Twitter. Oh, come on. And I'd have like, you know, like a higher up be like, hey, who is this guy? Yeah. Why did he say that he hopes Yadier Molina dies? <laughs> I don't think I ever rooted for Yadier's death. Um, I just found it really amusing when his testicles almost exploded. Yeah, I think that was the one. I don't think he'll. You don't have to die from that, though. No, you can fix that. I did a. Uh, I was on Joe Ostrowski's uh, Sunday morning show on the Score once from Puerto Rico. I was on my second honeymoon, and they called and asked if I'd come on. I'm like, sure. And I tried to work in a joke about the uh, reason I was in Puerto Rico was to go to the Yadi Molina statue, and I couldn't get it worked in. <laughs> I never, the way, he was kept asking me questions at the end. I'm like, I was in Puerto Rico, and I didn't even get credit for calling in from Puerto Rico to be on the score at 9 o'clock in the morning <laughs> on a Sunday. <sighs> but that's all right. So I got a lot of stuff I want to ask you about. Uh, we can start with the Bears. Um, so they're moving to ESPN 1000. That starts yeah. next year, right away? Yeah, it start, no, actually starts yeah, next year, but it starts as soon as the new league year starts. So that's like in March, I think. So whenever they'll have – they'll be on ESPN 1000 for the draft, for, you know, for free agency, for the shows and things like that. So they actually kind of got to get moving here. So this is cool. going to be just like when the Cubs left GN and won the World Series right away. I think so. The, when the Bears win the Super Bowl next year on uh, ESPN 1000. Great time. I, I think it will, yeah. I mean, I think it's probably a pretty good thing for the Bears, actually. I know the signal is not as good. It is not. I live, in, I live in Rockford. Rockford is not that far away. And the, even during the day, the ESPN 1000 signal is spotty. Depends where you drive. <laughs> it's like, right. I, gonna, I mean, they have, a, 
they have an affiliate network, but they might have to expand that, like, you know, it with more within the local area just to make sure everyone can hear Bears games. Yeah, I don't get it. They're supposedly a 50,000-watt yeah. station. But they're... I'll, to follow, I'll follow up more of that when it comes game time. But, yeah, that'll be interesting to see. Um, are you going to miss having the, the weather and the, the weather updates? And was that, like, turning on your car in the morning on the next day and hearing, like, BBM? Actually, I I haven't I haven't heard I'm trying last time I heard a bear game on the radio. Um, I'm a big Jeff Joniak fan. I think he does. A great oh, long job. time I know you love him. He does a great job. I've told a story before, but I'll tell you guys. So my dad was a farmer, and uh, I got a call one time. He's gotten a cell phone and he's on the combine, and he called me. He's like, "What is the bear score?" And I'm like, "Are aren't you listening to it? I am." I've been listening for 15 minutes. He's, he has not said what the score is. <laughs> I like to lose it 17 to 3. He's like, okay, thanks. And he hung up. The small like mechanic, mechanically, my favorite Joniak thing would be like a running back. Hey, uh, he takes the sweep around right end, and he goes out of bounds right there. We don't know what right there is, Jeff. We can't see it. I really think part of it was they made that they had a huge like campaign for a while about turning down the TV and turning up the and I think he just got in the mode of I, everybody can see what I'm seeing I don't have to describe all this stuff so you're a radio no, you have to tell us that's why we love Pat Hughes yeah well Pat will tell you everything right down to what color trousers the guy is wearing <laughs> <laughs> we should be doing this podcast live from uh, Coombs Corner that would oh, be fun we should you sampled the food there, right? Yeah. Hit or miss. I said, really doesn't everything come with something fried, just set on top of it, no matter what was, you order? People told me the pizza was good, and it was, it was really, really bad. Like, probably the worst bar pizza I've ever had. I, I don't know if it was because my daughter ordered the kids' one. Maybe the kids' one's different than the regular one. You know, like, they make it different for finicky kids. I don't know, but the burger was good. But we made the mistake because my burger came with fries. My daughter wanted fries. So I was like, oh, I'll order an extra one. Not realizing this is Coombs Bar. Like the amount of fries that came with my burger could feed like 10 people. And then we had another huge basket that's literally like, I mean, like the size of a watermelon basket, like filled with French fries. Also, like I said, there's there's a lot of pictures of Coombs on the walls, but not enough. Like, I wanted it to be, like, inside the John Malkovich's brain. Yeah. In, you know? Like, like there's just coom everywhere. Like, everywhere you turn, there's a picture of Ron Coomer doing something different. <laughs> Are there any in the bathroom? Like, over the year? Just looking down at you from the urinal, judging you? <laughs> there isn't. There should be. There On the way, though, there is. There's, like, some old ones in the little, like, uh, there's also a side. You know what kind of bar? You know where you're at? Not what kind of bar, but where you're at where there's, like, a no vaping inside signs, like, all over the place? <laughs> You know, it's maybe you're you're somewhere uh, interesting. Well, he is former Cub and All Star, Ron Coomer. <laughs> I once asked him, "Go, why does Pat do that?" He goes, "I don't know." <laughs> yeah. I have a reader who insists that uh, Coomer and Pat hate each other, and I'm like, I, no, just, I don't think so. They seem to like genuinely like each other, and he's like, "No, it's an oh. act." I'm like, "Okay, well, I think they seem to like each other. It'd be hard to How fake it that long." And, like, how could you really dislike either of them? They're both, like, I mean, Pat's quirky, but he's such a, you know, he's Pat. Yeah. And then Coomer's, like, you can't dislike Coomer. 
He's just like even yeah. smiling. He's got his own, you know, just like a. He's just a jolly fellow. Yeah, he's a he's a teddy bear who played nine years in the major leagues. My favorite moment of theirs over for the season was that awkward. Uh, Crane shows up in the booth to tell Pat that he's going into the walk of or the the uh, utility tunnel of fame <laughs> that they have, and he can't like get he can't spit it out. And Coomer finally like takes over and just does it for him. <laughs> terrible. It was so weird. He's like, well, you know, Pat, uh, Buck O'Neill, and Jose Cardinal, a couple of great former Cubs, blah blah blah. And Coomer's over like, tell him he's in. So he hands him a piece of paper and has him read it like a like it's a hostage video. They read the demands. Apparently, oh, I've been inducted into the Wall of Fame, or whatever it is. It's like, Jesus, how did you screw this up this bad? At least they made jackets for them. That was nice. It is, yeah. They look like uh, they look like Walmart greeters. If you a little dressed up Walmart greeters instead of the vest. You get the full you get the full blue jacket when you're getting the wall of fame. Um, oh anyway, so back to the back to the Bears. Um, with uh, Justin Fields now on the cusp of uh, superstardom, do the the Bears finally have a guy who we'll see doing like national ads for reputable products again? Yeah, I mean, I think he's the most. I mean, it's like great. It's. You know, I don't, did Hester have a lot of ads? I feel like I feel like he might have, must have had something, right? I mean, he was a big Nike guy, but I don't think they ever really used him as yeah, much as they. Probably I feel like he was in stuff, but he was never like the focus of stuff. Like right. Nike would show up. Hey, look at these great players we got, and he would be one of them. But it wasn't like Devin was yeah. really pitching anything. Well, right, they haven't had a quarterback that's popular since McMahon. Right, McMahon had stuff for a couple of years because yeah. he was pumping out. Right, NCJ hawk hawking a lot of. Uh, he could do my pillow stuff now. <laughs> He's got his own beer company now. You seen that? No, I haven't. He's, He's got he 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 like co-owns some like I don't know I don't even know how to describe this kind of like media company. Like their website's just like aggregation, but it's mostly about the show Yellowstone. And then it really is. There's like an alarming amount of stories about Yellowstone on the on the website. Um, and some guy who worked for the Athletic in like our like SEO was like a part of it, I think, because he would tweet about it. And then now Jay's got like all this other like this company's like trying to be like a lifestyle brand for like basically for right wing like kind of country people. But they're not going to. He's like toning down the politics just to try to sell the stuff, and then it'll, it's going to fail, and then he'll. This, go back. We call it Uncommon J. That'd be funny if he did that. Seems like something. Like I feel like the one really, the one thing we really lost was J, and it, we can blame it on uh, Ryan Tannehill blowing out his knee. Was J never actually being a national football analyst? Because yeah. it was going to be him and um. Was it Burkhart? He was gonna be in a three-man booth. Remember? Yeah, I'm with. Uh, and I'm blanking on the, the, the his other guy, because oh crap. Yeah, he was gonna be part of a three-man booth, and the rumors that they leaked out about it were, oh, you got you should hear Jay's the, the tapes we ran him through it. His guy will say anything. This is gonna be great. 
And then the Dolphins, Adam Gase waved $10 million at him, and he said, yeah, I'm going to go play one more year. And he took the $10 yeah. million, and he's just never done it. He says he's open to it, but I believe the the window closed on poor, yeah. on poor Jay. Because now, yeah, people just came after him. He, it was Charles Davis. It was going to be okay. – talk about a weird pair, <laughs> Charles Davis and Jay. Although Charles seems like he can get along with anybody, so it might have worked. And he kind of right. tried to, like, rein Jay – pull Jay back when he started to rant. Yeah. On Jay's Instagram, he was trying to do, like, picks like everyone else does gambling now. And his uh, predictions, I wrote about it once. They're so bad. <laughs> it was, like, the laziest. He basically just took favorites every week. And his his reasoning would be like, eh, you'll get it together. They'll be fine. It's like, they got to be favorites for a reason. Vegas knows. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, Jay, you're like, supposed to pick that... one side or the other. You know, they... I wonder if that's kind of what his – he, his, he would have been an interesting analyst just because he knows how to make – he understands mistakes. Like yeah. when guys throw into double coverage, you'd be like, oh, okay, what happened here was he's pissed off at this receiver and he hates his coach and he just let it fly. That's what I would do. But would, uh, I don't know. It would have been the opposite of the lazy where they pause like the all 22 and they'll be like, look, look this David Montgomery's wide open. And he's like behind behind uh, jo- or, uh, Justin <laughs> And it, the ball is already out, and that's why there's nobody around. <laughs> Jay would be the opposite. Like, this guy was wide open. They show there's three defenders around whoever it was. That Jay's like, I could have squeezed it in there. It's like, yeah, we know you'd have tried. We remember but the day. Right. The field thing's going to be interesting to see, like, what. I mean, he's got to – if he keeps this up, just plays like this for the rest of the season, he's going to have a big national campaign, Yeah. you know, going into next year. Now, he's not the most personable, like, you know, we talked to him. He's here. Like, I feel like we don't even really know him at all yet. Yeah. So our questions are really bad. And, like, we're, I think our, our question of him is really awkward because there's no, like, chemistry on how to talk to him and, like, what he'd like. You know what I mean? It's just, like, we're just kind of all feeling each other out still. And that's why it was so weird at the beginning of the year where he had to, like – I wasn't at that press conference, the one where he had to basically say, like, I'm going to try to be, like, normal after the Green Bay. Like, you know, people flipped out about that. He's just like he's also young. He looks like he's twelve. Yeah, you know, and it's just weird. And Mitch was so, Mitch was fine. He was just Mitch would just talk really fast, and like you know, things were always going wrong. And I don't know. I like Mitch. He just he, he should be very. He, Mitch should be at the point now where he's just like, you know what? I'm going to be happy with my life of being a backup. I've got a wife. I've got a kid. I'm just going to make millions of dollars and move yeah. back to Ohio and live like a king. No, I mean he he should be able to carve out. A, a Chase Daniel esque career, yeah. And the key to that is to not play very much. You're right. The exactly. less you don't, play, don't the longer you can be a backup in the NFL because you don't get a chance to prove that. Oh God, this guy really can't play. Yeah. We can't go to him if uh, we need him. No, you just want him to be like, oh, he's great to the young guys, the team guy, yada yada. But um, Fields, I, I listen, I. I I was never like out on him. I was now I was curious if the team was sold on him. That was like I think, you know, we were all kind of curious like how Ryan Frank Poles and, and even Eberflus were really sold on this guy. And now they seem to have figured it out. They figured out when he's figured it out and he's confident. Yeah. And I, I do think we're gonna he's gonna be like you saw last week, like he's so fast. That's like his key. That's gonna be the key to his image is speed. Yeah. And, and you know, just in and then figuring everything else out. Yeah, because it's jarring. Because you'll see him running, and all of a sudden, 
he really turns it on. And you're like, oh, God, he wasn't even sprinting. He's he's running past guys at, like, 80%. And then when he really needs to, he can go even faster. And you're like, holy crap. That's, and, that's ridiculous. And he's bigger than people think. He's bigger than you think because he's got that baby face yeah, and stuff. He's I fall so in the same weird. trap. I forget that he's, like, he's almost 6'4", like 230 pounds. Right. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, so when I was trying to think... Who the who the Bears had the last like big national brand they had? I thought it was the fridge, and I don't expect right. Justin Fields to like be doing. You know, for, the, for a while, for, if you turn the TV on during a football game, there were th- two different William Perry commercials every William Perry commercials every um, every commercial break. He was, I, like, I had a fridge idea. Yeah, yeah. Whatever else, I don't know. <laughs> that's right. He was an action figure. He was a he was a wrestler for a while for like a day. Yeah. Why did GI Joe? Why did GI Joe make a fridge one? I don't. Well, I mean, it was very weird. I remember getting it. It, just, it was. It was. He had like a football and like a thing, like a string or something. Like I guess he was like with the football at Cobra Commander. Yeah, what do you think? I don't feel like military he was action heroes. You think William Perry? That's what you think. Of. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if he had the uh, the cardio uh, to be able to be fighting wherever G.I. Joe would go. You know, and I feel like they're covert operations and jungles and whatnot. I feel like it's huffing and puffing might have might have given them away. If you needed a guy to jump off the floor onto a table to catch Cobra Commander, he could do it. <laughs> the Bears had that video for a while. That was the pre- the predecessor to uh, the the guy jumping out of the pool. Yeah. Who was that? Was Jerron that? Gilbert. Jerron Gilbert. I want to Jerron go Jerron Filbert. Yeah, yeah Jerron Gilbert. <sighs> I granted, jumping on being in a pool and being able to jump out of it onto the deck is impressive, but I don't know where, how many times in a football game that comes in handy, and apparently not very often because he didn't. He lasted like three games. Yeah, I don't think jumping in general as a defensive tackle is a defensive lineman is that is that helpful. No, Brian Robinson proved that. I mean, he only had to jump four inches to block a field goal and become a legend. Right. But yeah, no, I, I mean, I would say, you know, Erlacher had some national appeal. He had commercials. I think he had like an Old Spice commercial, didn't he? Something like that, or some kind of deodorant commercial. Yeah. Now he's selling like colloidal silver, probably. <laughs> on Rocks and, hair, and hair plugs. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's still the most. I mean, those, those billboards are still up. I, um, to me, it's really good hustle. Ian Happ got the hair plug uh, yeah. endorsement before he actually lost his hair. He's... Ian, you can't listen. You can't say Ian Happ didn't prepare just in case he was like a triple A player by now. Like he prepared. He had his coffee, yep. hair plugs. Uh, what else do you have? His podcast. Yep. You know, he give that guy oh, credit. And, for uh, him and pa- him and Patrick Wisdom and uh, Boog have all done um, those uh, predatory extended car warranty commercials. Car Shield. Have they really? Yeah. Oh, they're on Marquee. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, Car Shield. If you want to spend a bunch of money and then when your car breaks down, realize none of it is covered. Yeah, right. Buy Car Shield. Yeah, he's in one of those. He, uh, I do love that. I was just, before I came on, I was I was on Twitter and I saw like one of the marquee like videos from like the winter meetings where they were like talking about like all this money that Ian Happ's going to get and like why he serves it. I'm like, I, guys, I don't know about this. If I were Ian Happ, I would take whatever extension they yes, offer. Only if he gets it. <laughs> Only if he gets it from the Cubs. I mean, they found that out when they tried to trade him at the deadline, and everybody went, no, that's okay. We're good. 
He's going to win a gold glove. Hey, he's going to win a gold glove in left field. It doesn't even – it's it's gold plated. They don't even give you the whole – they just paint it gold and give it to you. It's like – I mean, Storiano could have won it in 20 – was that 2012? Marcelo Zuna won it one year. And it was the year when he had the famous thing where he, 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 he had two plays in like a week. One, he went to Philly. The Cardinals were playing in Philadelphia, and he went back to the wall to jump at a home run, and he did the Avon Calderon where he grabbed the top of the wall, and the ball landed in the on the warning track behind him. And then he had one where he dove for it, and it hit him in the back. <laughs> he won a gold glove that year. It's like, all right, like, can we just like, go back to just giving the three best outfielders the gold gloves? Yeah, right. Let's not divvy this up by position. It's, it clearly doesn't work. App should get credit, though, because no one thought he would have. I mean, he had a good season. But he's not like the Cubs aren't rushing to give him an extension, like give him money kind of season. Yeah, I kind of hope so. But and not according to the marquee people, they're pretty excited. They got to be though. Listen, I got we make fun of that, but they got to sell that. You know, you work for the marquee, you got to try to sell this this stuff somehow. So, yeah. you know, like I I can't like uh, what are they supposed to do? Like you can't just be like this team stinks. <laughs> you know, you can't be like. These guys oh, you they could lean sell. into it. How how much better would the ratings be on the post game show if they just if they took calls and they yeah. just let fans rant about how how bad the team is and how what an embarrassment it is? <laughs> You'd get viewers finally. Maybe that not the guy be... you want, but people would watch it. I would watch that, and I haven't watched the post game show in like three years. Yeah, I feel I, I don't know what they would do. What they could do? They got to find some guys with personalities. I mean, no offense to the people they have. Like Cliff Floyd's not seems like he's good, and there's a couple guys that are all right. But like, they I mean, they got to find their Aussie, and that's just the toughest part. Basically, it's Miguel Montero. If that's they can. been my I've been banging that drum forever. Um, he would be I, amazing. Just he the same guys. Stuff. I don't know what Cole would do if he starts telling like me when they get. They're like, "Hey, what do you think about Ian Happy?" He'd be like, kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> What? Uh, let's go to let's go to Premagen. Let's go to what's the Premagen guy's name? That guy with his wife. <laughs> I, I, think, I don't know. I, my favorite thing about all the Premagen commercials is the I've been taking Premagen for I don't know five or six years. Is it five or six? It's a, supposedly it's a it's a brain medicine. Shouldn't you remember? <laughs> I just like how, they all just look like misfits from like. Yes, I mean they're just like they're all like something really is weird. Like one guy's kind of nicely dressed, but then has like no no sideburns. It's like they went to the casting call for the Cialis commercials, where you're gonna you and your wife are gonna sit in separate bathtubs, and they took the ones they didn't get picked. Like all right, this guy, one of the guys worked for Prevagen. If you read the <laughs> if you read the title, he was like a mark assistant marketing director of Prevagen. It's like I wonder how he got this gig. That's great. They had the very like erudite looking guy that kind of kind of looked like John, uh, like Moon Mullen. Yeah. And he was talking about how well, I'm a college professor and I need to take Prevagen so I can keep up with the kids in my class. It's like, oh, okay, whatever. I just definitely an adjunct like me. <laughs> That's right. It's... They don't pay him till the end of the semester to make sure that he shows up for all the classes. Um. Oh, my favorite hair plug thing is um, just I haven't been to O'Hare in a while. So is, is Sandberg still on the on any of the billboards? No, I feel like he's he's off now. 
Because I haven't seen a standard one in a while. I mean, he they only did the hair plugs on like the front. <laughs> it was like okay, right? We can't, you know. All right, this <laughs> this deal is just just a row in the front. You can comb it back. How many commercials do I have to do to get the whole? Like, I want to get the back of the head too. You're just not exciting enough. We don't want to use you for that. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> you're doing hair plug commercials. <laughs> they they need to. They got to seed your whole head, Ryan. It's you're not you're not selling things. The back is that the back of his head's a billboard for like uh, cannabis. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's right. I forgot. He's he's big pot investor, Ryan Sam. <laughs> well, you know, Margo and I smoke weed every night, and we've we've never been happier. I think he does. I don't even think he does weed. I feel like doesn't he do like the. Uh, the THD stuff that doesn't work. Oh, probably. Yeah. I just said, rub this on my on my wrist where Mike Jackson hit me in. I missed <laughs> most of that season. And then I, I shortly thereafter retired, but then I came back. Okay, we remember. We were there. How come he doesn't get more shit for that from people? Like, you know, people talk about guys quitting and things like that. Did he get a lot of shit at the time? For like, I mean, I know he had like marital problems, but like, well, a lot of guys, I mean, half the majors probably have marital problems at one time or another. Yeah. Yeah, the only Cubs that left were him and Zobrist. They both came back. Ben came back at least the same year. I, at the time, we didn't know. That was the, f- wasn't that the famous corn cob dress press conference? Was the retirement one? Sense. Yeah. And not long so. after that, Cindy was no more. He came back because the 95 Cubs... The uh, that team that loaded up in season to win the the first ever wild card by acquiring Todd Zeal from the Cardinals, they wouldn't lose at the end of the year, like they were just about to be eliminated, and they won like they had this because of the weird strike that was the the season after the strike and the schedule was weird because they missed games at the beginning of the year, kind of like kind of like the year the season we just finished. The Cubs had a huge homestand at the end of the year. And they wouldn't lose. They were, were like hanging on. They weren't. You, you could, as a fan, you're like they they can't get the wild card. But it was kind of fun. Sandberg apparently came to a bunch of the games and told everybody, "I want to come back. This is great." And uh, the Cubs were like, "Oh, okay. I, you, I guess you could come back." It's like they didn't have the balls to tell him no. <laughs> have him play for somebody else. And there was always the rumor Craig Biggio was a free agent that year. And the Cubs had been like, that's the guy we should go get to play to fill our big hole at second base. And instead, they're like, oh, Ryan's coming back? Okay, fine. And he was okay for those two years. But he right. wasn't. Yeah, he shouldn't have been there, but he was. I don't think he took – people were just so shocked that he retired. He had just signed the contract that made him the highest – well, it had been eclipsed a couple of times, but the contract he was on at the time was the, was the biggest contract in baseball history. Right. And he just gave two thirds of it back. It was all odd. So I was watching the uh, the Manning cast of uh, Raven Saints, and Peyton kept every time Roquan would do anything. Peyton's like, Whoa, "What are the why the Bears trade this guy?" It's like, well, Peyton, um, they were never going to be able to sign him. Right. I mean, wasn't that by far the biggest? When everyone pulls, when they announced that Roquan was ending his holdout and he was just going to play it out, this 
pulls is talking to me, and just the look on his face was like, <laughs> "You try negotiating with this guy." <laughs> that and, and like when we talked to him afterwards, that seemed like his, his thing. Like, did it, someone asked him, like, you know, did him not have an agent make this more difficult? I was just like, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah yes, it did." Like he's like, there was a big gap, and they're like, I, I, "Yeah, I don't think Paul's fucked it up. I really don't. I mean, I, I think it, it's very difficult to deal with to deal with him. Thought he was really good, and he's, he's fine. And you know, it's it is unprecedented though. And I was talking about this with Eddie Jackson. So we were talking about the defense after the game, and he's like, he was really down on himself and the defense for like, you know, not not standing up and beating the Dolphins and helping out the offense. I'm like, in your defense. Like, I don't think an NFL team's ever traded team captains <laughs> in back-to-back weeks during the season. And he's like, I know. <laughs> like, like, that doesn't – he's like, not during the – I was like, that literally never happens. Like, you don't trade – and, like, in that sense, I, I feel like that – I don't know how – it's a ballsy move for Bulls to do that because that's a pretty shitty thing to do to your players. Yeah. Yeah, and I have to then go and try to explain to the players that we really are trying to win, but – Maybe not this year. <laughs> I know most of you will have a career of three years or less. You're probably not going to be here when we're good, but we're still paying you. Go get them. Yeah. I try to imagine what it was like for polls. Like, how does the contract negotiations with Roquan even go? Like, I assume it's like they they write up a offer for him, but then they have to like explain it to him, right? Because you can't just like give it to the agent and the agent explains it to the player. Like, you have to, like, walk the guy through your offer. Well, I, I wonder if, and I probably should know this, but, like, because the NFLPA, I think, helps the guys. They have a lawyer there that helps the guys out. So, at least that's this not. Stuff. What does this so I would assume mean? The NFL, uh, yeah, right. I would assume the NFLPA person maybe is, like, CC'd on this email. Like, here's our offer. You know, talk it over. And, well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Well, then Roquan just takes it to St. Omni. And he's like, hey, Saint, take a look at this. What do you think? I think you should get $25 million a year. I do, too. I was trying to get in touch with Saint because I know someone who works at his agency. But, yeah. uh, I think they probably knew that that probably would be best for <laughs> me talking. I mean, I would have been fine. I would have been fair. But I, I, I just wanted to know who the hell this person yeah. is. Where's Master P when you need him? <sighs> Imagine Dick and Master P negotiating. <laughs> Apparently, it went, um, we'll just give you whatever, because we, we traded our whole draft class and the next year's number one. That's the part I think everybody forgets. Everybody remembers they traded all of their picks one year to get Ricky Williams, but they also had to include their number one the next year. It was a complete disaster. It would have been a great standard, though. Yeah. Yeah, that was a real missed opportunity for Illinois. Uh, I was interested I'm interested in weird stuff I was interested in what number Roquan was going to get with the Ravens and do you think they had to call Elvis Gerbach and go Roquan would like to wear 18 is that okay (laughs) well we won't take you out of the ring of honor Elvis is he in the ring of honor no I don't think so I don't know if they have one and I wanted the last Raven to wear 18 was former bear kind of uh, Brashad Perryman how about that? I wonder if Roquan was wearing it in his honor. <laughs> hey, I played with Brashad was on a practice squad for three weeks. I give me eighteen. It's a fun fact. 
So the Bears. Oh. Now I I like this. If it was up to me, the Bears would play at noon on Sunday, every week. I don't like. I don't like oh, them yeah. on prime time, mostly because over the years they've humiliated all of us by playing on prime time. But the rest of the schedule, every game is Sunday at noon, except for Christmas Eve. It's a Saturday noon. Um, I can't imagine that's going to change. Yeah, I don't. I don't know which ones would be like. I'd have to look at the schedule to see if there's any possible flexes. But I mean, they're maybe, not. What's the, what's, the, what's the Eagles one? That's one I wonder. I don't know who's the the prime time game that week. Yeah. It's, it's December 18th. The Bears the Bears in back-to-back weeks play the Eagles and the Bills. The Bills is the Christmas Eve oh. game. So there you go. That'll be fun. Yeah, that could gather be like. Around the, gather around the yeah, tree I mean, like, and watch the right, Bears get like, beat 60 to. Well, at least they'll score some points. That's the thing. They're bad, but they're actually fun to watch because the, right, the exactly. shootouts that are like. And that's kind of wonder if TV's kind of like, you know what? These Bear games are kind of entertaining. Absolutely. Like, that's why I wonder. Let me see. So that one is, yeah, you know what? That Wait, can they only flex it to Sunday night? Or can they flex Monday? They can, yeah, they, don't, they can't do Mondays. No. In the future, yeah. in the new ESPN deal, not this year, they will be able to flex games to Monday night. Because that week, the Monday night game is Rams at Packers. Yeah. Not the, not the sensational uh, showcase game they thought it was going to be. And the Sunday night game... It's Patriots at, at Raiders. That could, you know, traffic. Who else is that week? That week's Bengals at Bucks. Um, not a lot. That's probably, you know what? To be honest, Bears Eagles. It's Bears Eagles, and then Bengals at Bucks are probably the two best games. Yeah. So yeah, I, I could definitely see that. Yeah, right? I mean, it's, it's Justin Fields and Jalen Hurts. It's right. This should, yeah, it should be Chicago. Fun. So they can show like the bean, and they can show the skyline. Right. They they love that stuff. You know, they they got their shots. Yeah, yeah I could definitely see that. They've already I got could, their they got got their B roll stored for when the Bears go to Arlington Heights. They can still play it. Right. They got show like uh, people like sitting on the highway, uh, waiting to get out there. That's good. The traffic, the traffic getting out of there. I mean, it's not gonna be bad for me because I live in the suburbs, but it's getting bad. Like it's not. I mean, it's terrible now, and it's gonna be terrible then. It's, there's no way to have. Yeah. Green Bay's the only one. Green Bay's actually. I mean, I've never left right after a game. I'm sure it's miserable, but getting into Green Bay like a few a couple hours before the game is actually super easy. Like it's not hard at all. Well, that's because there's no there is no local traffic. Right. It's not like it's no competing. Oh my god, we're gonna have all these extra cards. Like no, the only time there are ever cars on the streets is <laughs> when there's a Packer game. Right. It's like you drive down that side one of the streets. It's like there's no one on the road. Because everyone's already like everyone's already drinking, you know, two hours before game, two and a half hours. There's like one tractor with a manure spreader that's holding up traffic for a few blocks, but he's about to make a left, and it'll be fine once he turns. Well, they they changed the park. I guess they're they're doing some construction on one of the parking lots, so like all the media home and away got moved, and we got moved to this like uh, like condo kind of village. Like they they had some development kind of near the stadium called like uh, Title Town. Everything is and it's like high-end condos in downtown Green Bay, with like, I mean, they look nice, but it's like, it was a hike, man. We, I mean, we were there like what week two, so it was fine. But I know even the Packers guys are like, I don't know how we're going to get back to our cars like in December. <laughs> yeah, like it was, it was close to a mile walk, 
and like you have to go through like these villa, like old title town areas and all these other yeah. things. It was like the Packers media is like, I, I really don't know what we're gonna get, like how we're gonna be able to do this. It's just kind of funny though. Who are the young urban professionals moving into like yeah. downtown Green Bay? Oh no, I'm sure things are booming in Appleton. So <laughs> it's the Silicon Valley of the Upper Midwest. Right. Once once Foxconn really takes off. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Walker's big achievement. We're going to have 2,000 high-tech jobs here. Whoa, wait, we're going to have, what, 40 office jobs. Well, the same thing. So I was wondering, even if they don't move the games, will the fact that Justin is good now and the Bears' offense is is exciting, will it at least increase the quality of the announcers? Because typically we get to this part of the year, like this week is a Kevin Kugler, Mark Sanchez special. And typically it would go down from there. Like Chris Myers would basically just like move into a, you know, rent a condo for the rest of the season. But was, uh, will we was, get better was, crews? It was like a friend of mine works for a bad NFL team. Um, and he was talking about their Christmas Eve game. And I was like, uh, I was like, I was like, I'm not going to say this isn't a highly touted game, but they have Jason Benetti and AJ Persinski calling it. <laughs> <laughs> They should do that. They should just stunt cast some of the games and have some of the. We'll do a crossover game. We're going to have the baseball guys do it. Yeah. Have fun. Prasinski calling an NFL game would probably be hysterical, actually. Get John Smoltz calling, like, a bad NFL game. <laughs> Can he just <laughs> act yeah. super bored at those two, though? Oh. What's that? Was that, <laughs> that was a 60 yard touchdown run? Yeah, it was great. That was okay. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Yeah, my last bear thing is, um, are we back on Luke Getze is going to get a head coaching job watch? Oh, God. I, thought, I, I think Parkins had uh, – he did the ultimate sports radio host, National. He wants to be a national guy, so the national one where he's like, should they fire Matt? Would you fire Matt Eberflus to keep Luke Getze? That's like my favorite like sports talk like question. That's like so stupid. Yep. Well, the last you know? time that everybody thought that should happen was um, – they should have fired John Fox to keep Adam Gase. Yeah. Oh, that would have made a huge difference. <laughs> I, I kind of wish that would have happened because covering Gase as head coach would have been really funny. And we might have gotten like, eyes. You know, just, yeah, we would have been like, you know, we would have got memed. Maybe we, we might have been in like clips that are shown all the time. But yeah, but like I this. like Getsy. Getsy's like a total yinzer to me. And he's from like suburbs of Pittsburgh. He's like the modern yinzer. Not the old Wanstead yinzer with the mustache and leather coat. The modern Yenzer is just like dips all the time, yeah. and just like you know, I, I assume watching like a Steelers game with him was pretty funny. Just him yelling like that to throw the ball, uh, stuff like that. But I like Get Getsy's like a very plain spoken kind of like no bullshit type of guy. So uh, people really do people do really seem to like him. I mean, I would love to know his unvarnished opinions on Rogers. Um, just because I, I mean, I know I was talking to someone who works in Green Bay, and just like. 
who was defending him on some stuff. Like he had a right to be mad at the Packers about certain things. Yeah. But he, uh, he's like, he's also changed a lot over the last five years and gotten, like, you know, more noxious and just, you know, whatever he is. Like there, it, there's both sides of there. But yeah, I would love to know Getsy's like opinion on Rogers, like weird, weird shit he does. Cause that's not Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. So I even did the thing where I was like, okay, what jobs might open? And I think, I think there's one that if that there is going to be open, that they might look at him and be like, he would be the solution would be Arizona. Look at what he did with yeah. fields and be like, well, I mean, Kyler's like a tiny version of that. Maybe this is a guy we should hire. If Denver fires um, Nathaniel Hackett, they're not going to go hire the guy that used to work for him with the Packers. So I don't think no. the Bears have to worry about that. But it is funny how over, like, it's literally been like three weeks. It went from, well, at least we don't have to worry about anybody poaching him to, oh, God, they might actually do that. Because they just look for a hot assistant at the end of the year, and he very well might be it. Well, so, yeah, so who, I mean, Carolina's going to be looking for a coach. Um unless they keep Wilkes. I don't know if they can fire Wilkes. And, and, you know, that might not look great yeah. to bring in him, uh, the whitest guy in the world, Getsy. Yeah. Um, they all just go out and just hire somebody, an, an ex-offensive lineman who works for ESPN now? Yeah, I think that's... That, like the that, Colts, that they're locked good. in with Jeff Saturday now. I'm sure he's going to do a great job. Wait, do you think Schlereth is kind of jealous that no one's ever tried to hire him? <laughs> Probably. So wait a minute, him? Oh, come on. He was never on General Hospital or whatever soap opera that Schlereth shows up on once in a while. You know Schlereth thinks he could be a head coach. I think a lot of those guys think they could be head coaches. Yeah. We got, uh, yeah, they got Eberflus on it. I was there for that. We asked him about it. He was like, that's a good question. I'm not going to answer it. Eberflus is not the most personable. uh, Not personable. That's the wrong way to say it. Uh, Not the most, like, quotable, like, you know, he doesn't go off script too often, so I was surprised he even said that. Yeah, yeah, because I saw the question asked, if he was still in Indy, would he be the interim coach now? I think the answer is no, because that, to me, Saturday is there. The Colts figured out when Peyton fell in their lap, and then when Peyton had his weird neck thing and they lost all the games, they got Andrew Luck, which is, you just, when, when, you're, when it's time, you just have to lose every game and get a quarterback. And yeah. I think I think Saturday is there to basically lose the rest of the games, so that they can draft um, Bryce Young or whatever his name is. Yeah. Because I think they're they kind of figured it out it's not worth trying to like, you know, that's the that's the play. You bottom out, you grab a quarterback, and then you just go like hell again. Why didn't they just promote Fox then and then tell him like, hey, listen, you don't have to work any more than you work. <laughs> right, you could still you could still zoom in from Florida. Because he wasn't even, he's not even there, right? No, I think he is. I saw a picture of him. Because everybody kept Um, saying they've got guys like Gus Bradley and John Fox. I'm like, I thought Fox was like consulting from the beach. But I guess he, so he really is there? I think he is, yeah. I think he's, I think he's actually got something beyond consultant. Okay. And like defensivist. I don't know, maybe. I talked to Vic about that, Fangio, because he's a, he was technically this as a consultant with the Eagles. And people were like, oh, no one's talked about this. And then I asked him, and he's like, I'm not really doing anything. Yeah. He's like, I'm never there. Like, he's like, he's like, everyone's got different consultants. He's like, I don't do much. The culture at least put Fox in charge of the replay challenges. If not, yeah, right. If they want to lose. Like, wait, what's like, that, I, is that rule? Would that be that would be a touchback? Well, let's challenge that then. That'd be fun. <laughs> we can give the Packers the ball back. Okay, good. 
It's still the greatest challenge of all time. He takes an undue amount of crap for it, but it's still funny in that if he hadn't challenged it, Mike McCarthy was going to. It was gonna. It, the Packers were gonna get the ball. Right. But still, the fact that he challenged it and not only wasn't a touchdown, but he lost the ball is just the greatest thing ever. Yeah, my my favorite thing about Fox is three years. Okay, so I think it was the. I hope I don't get this wrong. But it was, I think it was the first year. Yeah, first year he went one and seven at home, which hadn't been done for the Bears in like forty years, thirty years. Then the next year, he went, I think, winless on the road. It was one of those two where. Uh, they might have been flip flop. One was winless on the road. One was one and seven at home. And then the third year, he went winless in the division, which hadn't happened since like the '60s. So each year, he had like a new thing of like just, just like the worst. You know, even for the Bears, it was like an embarrassment. Record-setting head coach. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Just like every year was something terrible. Like how do you go one and seven at home? He should have done the John McKay, we can't win at home, we can't win on the road, we've petitioned the NFL to play all of our games at neutral sites. He was great. Oh, man. He was so much, everyone hated him. People, like, really hated him. Like, just, and he wasn't a bad guy. He's supposedly the best guy in the world to hang out with after, you know, when he's not coaching. Like, the most, he came to, he came to Waddle's Super Bowl party after he was fired. And just, <laughs> and just like, he was fired and he came to the Super Bowl party with, like, a lot of sports radio people that yeah. have been ripping and they said he was a delight. He's playing with people's kids. Yeah. He's calling out plays. He's like, we ran that play. He's like, oh, man, why didn't Alshon do that for us? Like that type of stuff. But, yeah, he's just like just so lazy. Just like he's just a – I don't know. It was just funny. It was funny to cover him. Hey, under his watch, Dowell Loggins invented the Philly special. Yeah. The Bears ran yeah. it before. The That's what he was yelling at. He's like yelling at the TV. We yeah. did that. We ran that. Yeah. They stole that from us. I feel like I, I felt like we helped win the Super Bowl. All right, John. <laughs> I mean, he he took that job clearly for one last big paycheck. Sure. It was kind of the the football equivalent of Dusty taking the Cubs job to pay off the IRS. Right. <laughs> like, dude, Robert, I can't afford to sit out a year. I'm I'm going to take the Cubs job. Didn't Dusty screw his? Wasn't it his brother that screwed him or someone? It was someone like a relative was handling his taxes, yeah. and it was like he had no, he really had no clue that he got screwed on that. Yeah. Um, Fox, the funny part about Fox, though, he took that job to save money, is he also bought Waddle's house for like two and a half million dollars. Like, smart move, buddy. It might even been like three million. It's a really nice house, but like, that's not a good way to save money, man. I don't know if I, don't wanna, I don't know how to tell you this. Like, buying a house that expensive, you're not going to make your Yeah, the thing I always wonder about, like in, uh, like in a college town, like in Champaign or or Lawrence, Kansas, or whatever, the the highest paid people are always like the head basketball coach and the head football coach, right. and you better hope that the guy who they hire to replace you likes your house, because who the <laughs> hell else are you going to sell it to? <laughs> so the uh, the GM meetings are over. Uh, Scott Boris did his weird um, thing where he talks nonstop for an hour and throws out a lot of awful puns. And um, but uh, we're ready now for the for Jed to start doing some intelligent spending. So yeah, very what do you think? what's your prediction? Well, Patrick and Saad have, uh, have been throwing a lot of water on everything the last couple of days, and it's. 
it's not not it's not a surprise. Like, oh, they'd like to get one of the big shortstops. They just don't want to give a lot of years. <laughs> it's like, well, then you're not going to get them because right. other teams are going to do that. You have to pay what it takes to get these guys, not what you yeah. want. That's not how it works. And that's what's interesting is all these guys are 29 or 30, you know, and Jed knows they're not, you know, four years, you know, you know they're probably not going to play in shortstop. Yeah. And, like, that's the that's the tough part about free agency. And, like, you know, the one guy that's a little younger is going to command the most money. And he's getting – Correa is going to command, yeah. like, a ridiculous – Oh, he's also the best one. That helps. Right. He's the best one and the youngest. He's but... the best one. He's the youngest. And because the the Twins promised not to give him a qualifying offer when he signed – he doesn't cost anybody a draft pick. The other guys all will. So he's got three big things in his favor when he tries to cash in. I, I think that's – I mean, I, I think they should just throw a ton of – I mean, you and I can say that. But, yeah, just throw a ton of money at him, base your marketing around him. You you sign Carlos Correa, you're going to sell a shit ton of tickets yeah. immediately because people will be ex- actually excited about this team again. Yeah, and you're I a think really good player. Like, yeah. I mean, if they're still like – if they're still – cautious because of the Jason Hayward signing. I got news for him. It was a bad signing when it happened. It's not like, you know, it's not like, oh my God, I can't believe this guy didn't turn out to be great. The Braves had looked at him and said, no. And then the Cardinals, the Cardinals did throw a lot of money at him. They tried to, they did try to keep him. But the Braves had kind of fired off the warning, like, he's good. He's not great. And we're not going to pay him what it's going to take, so we're going to get something for him. And I always felt like that was the, that was Theo's version of, it was Theo, it was a Jim Hendry impersonation by Theo. It was, we'll pay this guy like he's a great player and he'll become a great player. It's like, right. no, that yeah, doesn't, that doesn't work. John Maley will fix him. He would, oh yeah. And I've always wondered too if they didn't completely screw him up immediately. Like, instead of, let's, let's, you know, most hitting coach and the Cubs are, the, you know, it's, I was really excited that they continued their annual ritual of firing the hitting coach. That one came out of nowhere. That was like just slipped in a release. Oh, and by the way, we fired Greg Brown. Like, wait a minute, who's Greg Brown again? The hitting, you fired the hitting coach again. (laughs) They're getting more and more anonymous, though. Every time, it's harder for the fans to remember who they fired. Who was that guy? That was the hitting coach. We don't still have Rudy Jaramillo? No, that was like nine hitting coaches ago. Remember, there was, I remember flipping through Lou's biography, which is autobiography, which there's like three pages devoted to the Cubs. And, and the only memorable story was that year where they had Rudy and Hendry called the meetings like, what can we do to get like the hitting, you know, the hitting going? And Rudy's like, well, my program takes three years. And Hendry goes, three years? We only got three months. Jesus. They didn't come up in the interview. I mean, that's they remember Rudy was the highest paid, uh, yeah. highest paid hitting coach in the majors. Yep. But yeah, this, um, I, I yeah, I, I, I would, I would just throw it at Correa. I think Ricketts is smart. You know, Those, they don't have any. Uh, I don't think Todd's got any big candidates up. There's no, no political spend coming. <laughs> he's got at least two. He's got Todd's got two years now. Yeah, so Todd's years of focus. Would, they need a star. They, I mean, this team, you know. Don't don't tell me it's Suzuki, you know. No. Obviously, like right. Say is a say is a nice player, but he's yeah. just he's just a nice player. Right. Teams run with stars, and they don't have any. No, they let them all go. And it may have turned out that that was fine to let them all go. 
Um, the best one signed with Colorado and didn't hit a home run in Coors Field for his entire first season. <laughs> Maybe they should hire Mike Bryant to be the hitting coach. <laughs> Bring him back. He, he thought he was oh. for at least three of the years that Chris was there. I remember we were asking Joe about something. It was when Chris did something amazing, and I was like, we were asking Joe about it, and I was like, you know, Mike Bryan told, like, you know, the radio or something that Chris had never even done that in Little League. And Joe gave me, like, the funniest look. He's like, oh, I'm sure he did. (laughs) (laughs) It was, like, one of the funniest looks that Joe just, like, that Joe squeezed in there. Like, I'm sure Mike remembers that. (laughs) So, you know, Marquis debuted spring training of 2020. Great timing. And the Cubs went to it was one of their first preseason games. I don't or exhibition games. I don't I don't think they actually got to Vegas. I think camp had already been shut down before they got, you know, their annual Vegas trip. But there was a exhibition game where Taylor interviewed Mike Bryant for fifteen minutes. It was the only thing on the it was showing the game. And she's interviewing Mike, and I'm sitting at home going, "Oh my god, <laughs> this is a this is a bad sign right away." And he's just talking and talking and talking, and it's like, oh, it was it was a perfect. I mean, it was it was the beginning of dad chat, which is pretty much what every every marquee game is. Whose dad can we interview? Do you think when uh, when they sign Kevin Kiermeyer <laughs> that they'll just like? Uh, they have like they could they have like Dan Kiermeyer like and they could do like a picture in picture thing, and maybe while Kevin is batting, they could show Dan like changing the changing the oil in one of the mowers, just to remind us that both of these guys work for the Cubs. Well, there, and there will definitely be like you know how do you mow the grass for your brother? Like what does he like? Yes, is he right? Does he like you know what kind of length of the grass does he like? And then we'll get you know the sod. Maybe they'll interview the sod father. See if he's had a kid that's played. Uh, <laughs> did Roger Bosser Jr. have yeah. any kind of? Do you have a brother that played? Uh, Sully and I got the sod father off the record about some stuff. That was great. He said that guy's. It's so funny how much they love him at this. At, yeah, like that he's like a character of yes. the White Sox extended universe. As weird as a lot of the things around the Cubs are, the White Sox have some really strange stuff. It's it is our groundskeeper is the best. And everybody says so. Who gives a shit? Nobody cares. Nobody. <laughs> the White Sox extended universe is a weird. It's what happens when you don't when you don't fire anyone ever, and like yeah. no one leaves. Right. I, I wanted to do a story on it. I, I'm gonna have to do it at some point. Where I was gonna ask Canerco to rank the all time characters of the White Sox because he used to get a real kick out of some of these people. <laughs> like all time, I mean, you had Hawk. I mean, Farmer. The late, you know, Ed Farmer, uh, uh, extremely strange guy. Just as a character, just I mean, not a bad guy, just a real character. Um, Hawk was is is just the weirdest. I mean, even yeah, you know, everyone like even like the chef, the chef in the media dining room is really strange. <laughs> it was the worst food you could ever imagine, like the worst food in the league. And his thing was no seconds. <laughs> and there's a time that no seconds. Like no one wants seconds. Right. Like no one's asking. How about no first? Yeah. Can we go with that? It was I just like everyone is strange there, or just like really quirky. And yeah, that's what happens when you don't fire people ever. Yeah. 
Did I ever tell you my, uh, Bill, my Bill Melton story? So uh, my friend Neil was a huge Sox fan, and this was we were we were both at Northern. St- we were students at Northern, and this was like early summer. And he's like, "Hey," he said, "the this was after they had built New Comiskey, and they were still doing these periodic yard sales out yeah. in the, And you, he wanted to buy he wanted to buy some seats, so he's like, "Hey, you want to come with?" I said, "Sure." So we go down there. We're looking at seats, and Bill Melton is just wandering around, like greeting people. And he comes over, and my friend Neil's like, oh, it's Bill Melton. And then we we chat with Bill for a little bit, and then Neil's like, can I get your autograph? And he's like, sure. And he signs it, and he looks at me, and he goes, would you like one? And I said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Bill got so pissed. Neil got pissed. He's like, that was so rude. I'm like, I don't want Bill Melton's autograph. What am I going to do with it? I'm going to waste the poor guy's time. He just stormed <laughs> off in a huff. <laughs> nope. I remember for a while when I started like hanging around there and covering the team. Like Moose Scourin was always there. Oh. The late Moose. Cow- I don't know why. I, I guess he played for the Sox for a little bit. Yep. But he would just like hang out, just like just sit in the press box. <laughs> I don't really know what he was doing. Who who's gonna run the Sox when Jerry um, is no more? He's gonna, he's gonna sell the team. They're selling the team when he's okay. done. Because they don't want to sell the Bulls, because that's a cash cow. Yeah. It's a salary cap league. Yes, even though I he, mean, even though Jerry loves the Sox more than anything, he's smart enough to. Yeah, well, that's why they, he keeps it. They, that's why they're staying till he dies, you know, until he passes away, most likely. There's also like an agreement with the minority owners. These people that have been, you know, part of the team since what, like '79? I think he bought it '79 or '80. They were that the time where they have to sell is coming up, but I guess they can push it back a little bit. But there was like an agreement that, that the partnership breaks up. And, you know, the Reinsdorf's kids, and I thought, you know, kind of shamelessly, were, were buying up shares from like some of these old timers, yeah. you know, for tax reasons. But they were doing it at like a really low valuation. From what I heard from people that like, I know people that are friends with these guys and I have one friend that whose dad's a minority owner. And I think the valuation was something like 900 million or 800 million. You know, way less. Yeah. And they did get some old timers to like sell their shares, but Jerry's been pretty like careful on who gets to, on who does that stuff. So I don't, that's going to be, and that, that's going to be super fascinating because we haven't, you know, besides the Ricketts, that's the only uh, yeah. sale we've had. You know, and that was really before I became a columnist. So like, it'll be interesting to see like the bidding for this. It's going to, I mean, they're going to get close to 2 billion. I think. You know, I mean, even though they're the second team in the city, it's still, still Chicago. Yeah. You know. Yeah, Chicago, and it's it's a baseball team, and there's only thirty of them, and they're worth a lot of money. Even the even the, you know, you can get a billion dollars for one that's in a crap market. Right. You think that like you get a lot. Right. Where you think like rich people that want to. uh, own a team let's say it's not people from around here they'll be like well i could own this team in like you know nashville or i could own it live in chicago and like yeah you know right. you, you would think that that would be a pretty big draw to some some rich asshole that wants to wants to buy a team maybe theo comes back theo and his crew come back to buy the team there'll be a lot of bidding there'll be a lot of low i think well, some local people we'll see yeah and that's going to be that'll be a big change because i i a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. Yeah. 
Like, like you have to, you have to figure no, they're they're planning their retirements. Right. No more, no more lifetime jobs. So one of the things the Cubs, um, they need a first baseman. They need a lot, but they need a first baseman. And so immediately people are and Bruce Levine. Oh, they're gonna sign Jose Abreu. He's been really on that. Yeah. He's, he's really on he that seems to, And he's like the only one that's on it. And so <laughs> he just keeps repeating it to make it seem like it's, it doesn't make any sense to me if I'm the Cubs. No, no, and he doesn't have any power. I mean, great hitter, a, a great guy. He has no power. Um, He's not, you know, he's important to the Sox because he's a clubhouse leader and all the Cuban players look up to him. He comes to Cubs, no, one, no one's going to care. No. Maybe, maybe a brave just doesn't want to move. And like his agents would be like, hey, could Bruce try to get us a job with the Cubs? You know, Bruce knows they, they, they yeah. look up to. They, they think Bruce is like an executive, and they're like, hey, can Bruce get us a job there? Um, yeah, I don't. That doesn't make a lot of sense. No, I mean he's he's thirty six. Yeah. Does anybody really think he's thirty six? <laughs> and he's basically um, he's a he's a pole with a glove tied to it at first base. And you don't really need. Shockingly, they got Fran Mill Reyes through waivers too, so their DH is solved. <laughs> yes, the following Cubs made it through waivers uh, so they could clear spots on the forty-man. Uh, Fran Mill, David Bodie, Alec Mills, uh, Joe you know Bradwick still a thing. Um, Stephen, Stephen Brault, Narciso Crook, and Anderson Espinosa can't imagine that that assortment of talent every 29 other teams went that's no, okay i guess 29 other teams don't want to win <laughs> they're gonna look stupid next year any of them could have had him. you could have had Bodie for just the low low price of what is it like three and a half million dollars a year for the next 27 years or however long that contract is Um, so my favorite event, the Cubs convention, is coming back. And they sent uh, that email they sent out. I thought was great. They they promoted what they think are the three most attractive things of the Cubs convention. There was these were the bullet points, the highlighted bullet points. Cubs bingo, player autographs, off the mound with Ryan Dempster. Oh, That's what your, else do you need? Get your tickets today. Do they still have the dance party at the end of the prom? <laughs> the, the, the night of the living sweatpants wearing zombies. And, uh, yeah, I guess they didn't put the owners to the Ricketts family panel. Yeah, I, I, I probably don't. They haven't, they haven't got everybody's schedules. You know, if Pete might become senator and, you know, it's like, can we do it at 11 o'clock or 2? I don't know. Well, don't put it on yet. I'm sure that's the only reason yeah. they're holding it up. It's just logistics. Right. It's not that they're hiding from the fans again. No, Todd might be leading like a march on something. <laughs> His bike. We prefer a rally. That's the term we like. We don't like we don't like insurrection, coup, or march. It's a rally. Just remember that. I mean, obviously they brought it back because it's a cash cow. It must be, yeah. Not, I mean, I was kind of surprised Soxfest didn't come back. I, I don't think it, it obviously doesn't make as much, but it, it does decent. I mean, decent crowd of people. Um, last time I was there, I bought two Adam LaRoche jerseys to give away to, to fans. Did you get a drink? Uh, 
Do you get a Drake LaRoche jersey? They have that. Yeah, they, yeah, that is little bat boy uniform. <laughs> um, but they, yeah, they Cubs convention. Yeah, Cubs convention has to make money. I mean, especially for their sponsors. Like, it's good for the radio and, and all that. And then you know they think it's going to be like, you know, they're going to have like Matt Mervis there mm-hmm. and all these other, all these other. Uh, Minor celebrities. Pete Crow Armstrong is going to bring his parents. Like a hero, maybe there'll be like a heroes, like uh, a heroes panel. Like it, it could be like Comic Con slash Cubs Con. I'm looking forward to the Ed Howard Brennan Davis wheelchair race. <laughs> oh, poor guys! I feel still, one, like... of my, one of my favorite injury updates was Ed Howard is walking. Oh, thank God. Ugh, I feel bad for that. That's, I feel that's bad an for awful that. injury. It's... I'm glad Ed got his bonus. Yeah. You know, it's a nice bonus. But, yeah, it's that's why I can't, like, people are so excited about some of these prospects. I'm like, I just, I, I, I think the depth is actually probably pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like, they have some guys that seem like a little better players. But, like, there's no one to get excited about. Not yet. No, the one that everybody was looking forward to was Brennan Davis, because it seemed like legitimately good. You know, who knows how yeah. good, but good, and he's ready. And then warning signs. He's like he had a good spring, and then oh, he's hitting 143 in Iowa, and he's limping. And that's like oh, he just needs a little, just a little minor back surgery. It's fine. Yeah. It wasn't structural at all. He just had this big wad of blood vessels where they weren't supposed to be. When how did that happen? Oh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Who's the other guy that got hurt recently too? Oh, uh, Alexander Canario. Yeah, right. Yeah, who um, he did the he he did even the my favorite Cub injury of all time had had been the Ricky Gutierrez. He was running to first base. He pulled his hamstring. He fell down and he separated his shoulder. Canario stepped on the bag weird, broke his foot, f- fell down and hurt his shoulder. So he had to have surgery on both. And it's like, oh, that's even worse because you know at least Ricky was just you got to spend a month on the disabled list while both two things healed up. This guy actually had to have surgery on his ankle and his shoulder. So I don't think we're going to be seeing uh, Alexander Canario anytime soon. No. So. Yeah, so you were asking who I who I thought they were going to throw their money at. Um, I wrote a whole long newsletter, which I'm sure you read because you get it. Um, and I went through the shortstops. And I mean, if it was if I was spending my money, I would I would sign Correa for all the reasons we already talked about. Um, and I kind of tried to think, okay, I'm Jed, and it's uh, talking to Boris about Correa, and I just can't quite go there. What do you want for Xander Bogarts instead? Same agent, right. good player. the The knock on Xander is that he's he's only kind of a shortstop now, anyway. Like defensively, it's you know, he'd, he'd be playing third for the Red Sox, except their other good player is playing third. And I thought, screw yeah. it. Just sign him and move him to third base. <laughs> At least he's a hit. He's a, you need hitters, and he's a good hitter. Right. Uh, the one guy I wouldn't bother, like, I don't think Dansby Swanson is an upgrade over Nico. I mean, they do different things yeah. well, but I just don't think he's that good. And I wouldn't spend, that's where I would draw the line and be like, no, we're not spending that kind of money on a guy who's pretty good. We'll just we'll hold. Um, and then I also thought that maybe they could um, they could take Kodai Senga to whatever. 
I don't know if they went to the Cheesecake Factory or wherever they went, where Jed and, and Tom took Saya, and Tom wooed him. Just do that again. And they can save money, because they can just, Saya and uh, Kodai can just share a translator. Yeah, that helps. It's like, oh, we don't have to even add it. Well, they can do both. Uh, yeah. But they just have so many holes. I mean... I know they were red hot, and they were the third best. They were the fifth best team in the National League after the All Star break. It's like, <laughs> guys, you don't you don't get to take credit for a good record in a league where only seven of the teams actually tried to win games. <laughs> I mean, we watched a lot of those games, and they weren't any damn good. No, the whole roster is a hole, basically. I mean, Nico somewhere. They have. What a, else? They have. A, a couple they have a right fielder. Yeah, and they so. have a wherever you want to play Nico, and then they've got a couple of pitchers, and that's about all they have. Um, I did wonder if they would, um, if we'll see the return of Craig Kimbrell on an incentive-laden no. contract, oh, just God. because he was like nobody's going to want to like pay him real closer money. No. I, could, I could see him being like, "Hey, get me back in the, right. get me back in the pitch lab. I'll turn back in." Yeah, because he was really. I mean, it, it there you could draw a that line. Was awesome. When he left the yeah. Cubs, everything went to shit. And I don't think it was the oh, I'm pitching in the eighth inning thing. Maybe a little bit of that. You know, I know closers are weird and they need the adrenaline or whatever. But he just he was so bad for the White Sox, and then he had one little good stretch with the Dodgers, but that was it. He wasn't even on their playoff roster. The White Sox, actually, that was probably one of their better deals is getting anything of value, even though A.J. Pollock sucks. Like, at least they got someone who could play. Yeah. Well, that was a great deal for the Cubs. Oh, my God. I mean, got a five-foot-one-inch second baseman and a guy who caught Tommy John disease immediately after the trade. It was great. Who knows? Where are we good? That's nice, though, for the for the future. Magical. Yeah, I don't know about magical. So, I just, I don't see it. Um, you know, he's a little guy who doesn't run real fast, and doesn't play good defense, and doesn't hit for any Bad kind of power. Runner. Bad it's base like, runner. Yeah, it's like just can we just remind Nick to just turn left every time? That's all you got to do. It's not that hard. Yeah, like well, the, you know, the, the optimistic view is he was just going to ping pong hit so you know around the walls and just race to second as fast as his little legs can take him. To but, me, it, it was the it was the whole thing where like when you fire a manager, you hire a manager with the opposite. Like if you get a disciplinarian, you hire a right. players manager. This was we got a team full of guys who uh, either hit homers or strike out. We need a singles hitter. Well, yeah, but then when you get one, you're like, oh, that's all that guy does. And he doesn't do it that often. (laughs) It's like, just how about this? Just try to find good players. Just do that. Don't try to, like, it was, the one I directly equated it to was when the 08 Cubs bombed out against the Dodgers and Lou was bitching that they needed a left-handed bat. And they, they got rid of Mark DeRosa just so they could clear some salary room to get Milton Bradley. Like, oh, did you really make the team better? No, you didn't. He, he, he wooed, uh, he wooed Hendry over dinner. 
for dinner. Ian, Ian stabbed Jim with a fork, and Jim's like, this is great. <laughs> so one of the questions I want to ask you was, uh, and I'm stealing this from a guy who writes for The Athletic and has his own podcast, uh, Richard Deitch. If Twitter really does implode, which I think it's it's certainly a mess, but I think the demise of it is overstated. But how will that affect the way reporters report and fans follow sports? Because it's just become like our default. When you have an idle moment, you go, you go to Twitter and you're like, all right, what's going on? And when something funny happens, you go to Twitter and you tweet about it. I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's going to, I don't think anything's, there's going to be any, even if it's, it doesn't matter to us if it's wildly unprofitable right. or like chaotic because we're still going to do the same stuff. And like, the chaos is just more content of people retweeting all these fake accounts like oh my god look at this that's just more and more of the same churn that that we deal with anyway i don't think there's any way to go back now like what would you do you can't facebook's unusable like for a brief period before twitter there's like four or five years people would post all their stuff to facebook and there'd be conversations there but they made facebook unusable to make money and so you're never going to do anything there that's not paid for I don't think there's anything else. I mean, it's kind of funny. Like people talk about it, like, Oh no, more people use Instagram. Instagram's so basic. You have to write like link in bio yes. to like, to send a link to anything. That's unusable. And you need a, you need an image. Yeah. You need an image. You can't and just you need, fire like, off a thought. I mean, people are like, what did that? They don't know. He's going to even stop and look at it. And the comments are like misordered and like Twitter's it, man. And people that are like complaining about it, like, like, I understand some people, like, I, it could be a real problem with, like, governments and all the stuff that goes on on Twitter. That's, like, a real issue with someone like Elon Musk running things. Yeah. And, like, people use it for, like, emergency services, right? Like, you know, people check things for, like, warnings and stuff like that. That's all a big problem. For our sake, for the actual sports writers, like, people are, like, so, you know, oh, my God, what's going to happen? I'm going to. My favorite is the people that are posting their goodbye notes. Like, <laughs> if you need me, if you need me, I'll be on my Substack. Like, yeah. what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, how? Like, the, you know, the the bad, the great part about Twitter for people like us that are information junkies is just like we're the constant scroll. We're always yeah. looking for stuff, right? And new things linked and jokes and whatnot. But the people that like it, have made it part of their identity. It's like I understand why it's happened. But it's, it's extremely sad. That this is like their community is yeah. like I, I feel bad like like you don't have anyone to t- I mean well, as you get older and as you and I know you get less and less friends right mm-hmm. and like you just don't have time for it uh, you've got 17 dogs uh, you know you just don't have time you just you just lose track everyone's got kids or families or jobs but like so yeah you're on Twitter and you, you tend to meet people and you like people on there but like if you think these are like this is your community it's it's like kind of sad yes no, I, I mean, really, I, you just you just start a podcast, and then yeah, force you force people to come on and talk to you. Right, start a podcast, force people to come on. But like, yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I, there's no way to get around it. There's unless someone creates something that's just for sports fans. It's exactly like Twitter, yeah. but that would take like ten years to build to yes. build people. You know, people do, like this Mastodon thing people are going to. Right. Like, it's not going to work. Come on. No, I looked at Mastodon just to see what it was, and you got you have to pick a server, and apparently, if you pick. If you pick a server and other people are on a different server, then you don't see their. Me- it's like no, just. It's like that. I'm what, just going to was, Chuggo was trying to get people on their Discord, and I looked at it. I'm just like, this is just like a message board. Yeah, yeah, we're back to that. 
I mean, I you go back to the Decipio, the Decipio message, message board. board never went away. You can just go there. That was like the thing, man. Message boards, I and mean, like they're kind of sad now, but that was the big. I mean, that was a big communication for what, like, ten years, fifteen years. Yeah. And it was the I same. Guess that's, that was like yeah. Twitter's whole concept was basically to be like a kind of like a decentralized message board. Yeah, and it was here just instead of you know picking a topic or whatever you just follow in the thread and if somebody then you can go into a tweet and you could follow it that way i remember i remember twitter seemed confounding when we first all hopped on there like what is this what am i supposed to share like what did i have for breakfast that's always whenever there's a new social media thing we're gonna go on there and see what somebody had for breakfast that was that was the original that's everybody thought facebook was gonna be um yeah so right so since i have a Substack, Substack is pushing aggressively pushing stuff to the writers about their chat and how that could basically become your personal like your curated twitter for your followers that sounds terrible it's like that just doesn't it doesn't it doesn't work right no the the whole point of twitter is like different things and you don't not everyone cares about just the cubs all the time just this like it's seeing stuff you're not you, you know even if like you know good things bad things links to things i mean like you know, whenever, like, the right-wingers talk about their new, like, bullshit stuff, like, it's not going to work because the reason the right-wing people are on social media is to argue with people and to and to shock them, like that, that yeah. like Marilyn Manson, like, onion story, like, going door-to-door to shock people with their <laughs> with their thoughts. So, like, if and, it's, and I think that's probably true with, like, the real left-wing people, too. If they can't, like, the best thing about Trump getting knocked off Twitter was you, for me, was stop having my like super and I'm very liberal, but like super liberal friends that are like, oh my, you know the sir, what they call the sir tweets, sir, you know you can't, you're you're debasing the presidency. Yeah. Like you don't have to manually retweet it. And like the thing that cracks me up when you hear people like about the fake, all the new fake accounts, like I want to tell people you don't have to retweet things. Right. Like, like you don't get any extra points for being the first person to retweet like real woge or fake woge. Yeah. Like you're not a news service. You're just a person on Twitter. And people don't get. People want to. You know, it, it heightens their importance when they see that. Like, they, they they believe they're like a news service, like a wire service. Yeah, I. And you talk about well, somebody's gonna maybe somebody could start like a sports version of Twitter. It it wouldn't matter because no. within like a month, other people would say, "Hey, there's an audience there," and you'd end up with politics and everything else if, if as soon as something develops enough people on it everybody goes there and starts to post their own interests anyway so we're stuck with the one we've got and um you know, i think eventually someone's gonna buy that off of him for half of what he paid for it i, I would say like i mean yeah, I think because he bought it for twice what it was worth so yeah, he's gonna buy it for half of what it was worth i mean i think someone literally might buy it for like a billion dollars like it might be something that low, where he paid forty-four billion. Like you might see someone buy it for like nothing, and there and there's rules on who can do it, right? Because monopoly, you know, I, I would assume the Justice Department would, would enforce, like you know, like Facebook's not gonna be able to buy it. Yeah, maybe Todd, maybe Todd Ricketts and the Free Spoke guys can can buy it because that that search engine has really taken off. Yeah. That's all. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't Google anything anymore. I go to right to free spoke. It's like, what the? The, the sheer amount. Of, so this is the sheer amount of stuff the Ricketts have wasted money on. And then to be like, we can't afford Carlos Correa. 
<laughs> I'm sure they got. I'm sure he's got a lot invested in uh, Carrie Lake. Oh, oh, I bet he does. She has. She has. She's got an invite. They've got an email ready to send for her to throw out the first pitch at the spring training game if she wins. Yep. <sighs> so, the last thing I want to ask about was um, was if you read Joe Madden's book. I did, in fact, read Joe Madden's book, and I had a column I've never published. Um, partly because I felt I, I, there was like something right when I was ready to do it, something else like, more important happened. And so I shelved that. Uh, Wait a minute, more important than Joe Madden's book. Yeah, it was very Joe Madden. It's a weird concept, right? So Reducci is the co-writer, right? And it wasn't like, I don't know how Francona did it with um, with Dan Shaughnessy. And that's a really good book. You ever read Francona's book with Shaughnessy? Like, I just grabbed it out of the library one day. I had no interest when it came out, right? Actually, great book on how baseball teams run because Shaughnessy is much of a – you know, jerk you might think he is or whatever. He had pretty deep contacts within like the ownership. He got Theo. Theo basically hated him, but they had to talk to him for this book. You know, so he's Shaughnessy writes about like front office and everything during Francona's time and what was going on. Francona writes about like what's going on in the clubhouse, like to pretty good detail, like really detailed stuff. This book is basically Joe was on his exercise bike speaking into a recorder. Seriously, this is actually how it did it. Speaking into a recorder about his beliefs in baseball. And it was Reducci's job to kind of like weave it into a story with like other writing. So it's a lot of like, and you kind of got that sense because no one's really pushing back on Joe. It's just like Joe, every, I wrote every press conference was basically him writing his autobiography. And like, this is just all the same stories, but more drawn out. Some of it's really interesting, you know, and some of it's like, I don't care about why you cut this guy in 1983. Like this just isn't a story. Like one, there's one story about him cutting a minor league player that was actually really funny, and it was a guy lied and said he was hurt so he could go to a Van Halen concert, <laughs> <laughs> and it was in like somewhere really funny too. Like it was in, in like Peoria, I think. Van Halen played like Peoria, and like they they busted him and they had to cut him, and Joe kind of admitted he felt bad for it afterwards, but it was like probably really. And the guy, he asked the guy, he's like, "Was it a good concert?" He's like, the "Best day I ever saw." <laughs> Um, that was at least one good story. But the other ten stories about him cutting minor leaguers, not quite as interesting as Joe might think they are. Yeah. And there was there was like one there's some segments too, you know, it's just like where Joe's like, I could have been you know, I could have been a really good college head football coach. I really could have. I could have run a Fortune five hundred business. I know I could have. Like it's that kind of Joe confidence. There's no introspection in it. You know, there's no like, oh I did this wrong. Yeah. Like you'll be like, Oh, I made a mistake here, but it, it you know, whatever. It helped me later. You know, he, he he has a segment in there about how he was so – why he had Javi Baez bunt in the world in oh, game seven. With a full but it was all about – it was all about how he was right to do it uh. and how, like, he got that idea from um, – yeah, I'm blanking on the name. What was the guy's name? His bench coach in Tampa Bay, the Yankee, the famous Yankee uh, – or the fucking ex-Cubs man. Oh, it Don Zimmer. Don Zimmer. Why am I blanking on that? Fuck, you know, saying Yankees. The ex- Don Zimmer. And it was basically stems from like Zimmer's philosophy. But like, and, and you know, there's nothing in there about like that the players, Cubs actually had a meetings there so pissed at Joe. Like, you know, and there's none of that like, I screwed up this. It was just like, I was right. You know, he was really still pissed about the last year where Theo like gave him a really bad job review. Yeah. And told him how, what the players thought of him. And he thought they were making that. He's like, 
basically thought it was made up. <laughs> so, My players they, love he, me. You can't tell me that, Theo. That's what he said. He basically thought it was like one or two guys who were like disgruntled, and they took that. So I think the book was good. I think people might like it. You know, I'm probably too harsh. I think if you're one of these coaches that are tweeting on Coach Twitter about like tweeting aphorisms every day, I think those people really get into it. Yeah. Oh, like, so, becoming high school coaches and stuff. Mike Mike Lombardi will be retweeting gems from the book of Joe for the next twenty right. years. One thing, Joe's publisher cannot say he didn't do media for it. Yeah, I think you and I are the only two people he didn't talk to. Yeah. And I know uh, I could, and I probably should have. I know I could have. I could have got Joe on the podcast. I realized that as I started to see some of the places he was. There's a public affairs show in Rockford called Good Day Stateline, and he was on it. <laughs> And I know it because I, I kind of know the host, and her um, she has a nephew named Madden, and he's named after Joe. And she could not wait to tell Joe. And she told him, and he got very excited. That So that's a, that's a good first name. That's a good he first did patch, name. He did patch.com. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, uh, it was, yeah, it was very Joe. The book is very Joe. It could have been a better book. Um because he's got a lot of great stories. There's like almost nothing about like actual like, really, you know what I mean? There's the, he has so many good stories from his career. Like you figured there'd be a lot more. And there's yeah, it's maybe it's, it's it. The interviews all felt like it was Joe basically talking about how he, it was a. It became a forum for him to talk about how analytics have gotten out of control yeah. in baseball and right. how. And he told the story a million times about I was the first guy to bring a laptop to baseball yeah. games because I was doing my own analytics when I was a scout for the angels or whatever. And then he would get down to the fact that it's like, it's one thing to have a conversation with the GM about, you know, you should probably use this guy more often in this situation, in that situation. And he claims basically that Perry Manassian was coming down to him right before games and basically giving him the order of how guys were going to come out of the bullpen that day. And right. Joe's like, I'm not going to do that. You don't know what the situation is going to be. But it comes off as, um, you know, I'm smarter than everybody, so I will figure. I will make your numbers wrong because I will figure this out. And so, his gut, it's the whole thing was his gut. You know, is more important than any, any numbers. But he's also really smart. You know, it was like, yeah, it's just I called it his like beat it nerds kind of like yeah. uh, beat it tour, which is so and ironic really, because he he really did. You know, he came to prominence with the Rays. And one of the reasons was he was willing to use to go against what the conventional wisdom because, you know, they were who was this little lefty, J, not Jay Howell, who couldn't get who got righties out, but it really didn't get lefties out. And Joe started bringing him in to face tough righties, and it was working. And people are like, "What the hell are you doing?" And he just explained to them, "Is like, well, this is what the numbers show." And people are like, "Oh, look at this guy! Look right. at the big he, brain on Joe." Right. His point is that you know numbers are helpful but only to like a genius like right. him that right. can that can balance you know the force he, he's he's balancing the force um, <laughs> and, and yeah he was just bitter about the angels and he's bitter about the last year with the cubs yeah and they felt they 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 were interfering too much with him let's just say jen theo did not write the blurbs on the back of the yeah. book right not a lot of like i loved working with joe kind of blurbs but not in there but i, I think theo did interview with Theo did talk to Verducci for it, I think. But, um, yeah, I don't think those two are rushing to read it. 
no. And I can, even in, even in 16 and 17, I can imagine that Joe would be a tough guy to have as your employee. It, if but they would have lost the World Series, well, 17 would have been his last year. Well, I mean, he the the backlash to Joe really started right after Game Seven. Ironically, yeah. even after the biggest game the Cubs have ever won, and they're like, "Well, he almost blew it," and blah blah blah. And I did a whole yeah. thing where I walked through. Yo. Some of the decisions are like what, but some of them are like okay, it made sense. The whole he pulled Kyle too early to bring in Lester. The whole reason behind that was it was a bad call by an ump that turned a strikeout to Carlos Santana into a walk, which started to extend that inning, and they got Lester up. And how long can a guy on three days rest be warming up in the bullpen before you have to use him? And that really, that sped the whole clock up on all that stuff, but there was other stuff in there, but it's like even cub fans, it's almost, it's our self-loathing. Um, well, we almost, we, I know we won. It's a happy state of my life, but we almost lost. You couldn't quite get, couldn't, you couldn't let yourself let go of the angst. You had to keep a part of it, which is how close we came to blowing it. I was still on the radio with Spiegel that next week, and we had Joe, and he and I were debating on how we were going to approach, like, between the two of us working together to ask him about his mistakes, knowing the, you know, obviously there's fucking one World Series. So yeah. we were trying to do it in, like, a nice, like, respectful kind of way. While, like, yeah, that's what everyone was talking about. I mean, like, if you would have been sitting with Jed and Theo at the time, they were, had to be motherfucking him. Yeah. The way he handled the game. I mean, game 6 2, it's a with Chapman. So, like, or was it five or six? Whatever it was. He, uh, yeah, just everything. It was just He made some errors. And, like, the Cubs players, from what I've heard, were mad about it. And that's part of the, the, the meeting was because they were annoyed at Joe. And, like, you know, kind of leaving Chapman out. Yeah, just everything. They were just, like, really, like, annoyed with him. You mean the so, literal, like, the world-famous weight room, that meeting? Yeah. The rain delay meeting where Jason Hayward I, cemented his legend forever by... I, I've always heard that they were like part, not all of it, but part of it. They were they were pissed at Joe. They had to get everyone, you know, like I, I, the meaning of it that they've told us is that is true is one hundred percent true. They had to get everyone on the same page, and that's like, you know, if it would have rained after Bartman, maybe that two thousand three Cubs win it. Like if they, they would have had to have started right away because they managed to give up eight runs in that inning. Right, like they would have they would have stopped the game literally right there after he touched the ball. Right. Maybe maybe that meaning saves. Yeah. So again, Madden book, not great, but like if you're a coachy type person and you like that kind of crap, um, you might like it. I wonder if in the players only meeting it came up that um, David Ross had caught a Rolis in two playoff games and had called, I think it was 28 pitches and they were all fastballs. What did that come up in the meeting? I know that came up in Theo's conversation. He even see, he even let it slip in the clubhouse after the game. Like it, it's a tiny little thing. I remember us asking about like what he's thinking about. He's like, you know, through twenty seven straight fastballs. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know if that came up, but like that probably maybe Chad was saying it in Spanish and no one translated. Because one of the underrated moments in Game Seven is in the um, in the so Chapman gives up the home run in the bottom of the eighth. In the ninth, Ross gets on, and they pinch run for him. That put Montero in the game, and Miguel was the catcher because Chapman came back out and pitched the ninth. Yeah. And he had to get Kipnis, Lindor, and Santana. 
and he threw almost all sliders, and he got through the inning. If they go back out with Ross, the Indians win the World Series in the bottom of the ninth. You, I, I, I know that in my bones that that happened. And then I look down, and he's the one standing in the corner of the dugout now, and I just think, oh, this that's great. I mean, that that's to a lot of fans, that's the. They forced Joe out. I mean, they didn't force him out. They just let his contract expire, and he went away. And it was clear that one of the big things with the new manager was, this is the guy's actually going to do the stuff we want him to do without any pushback. Right. And it just lends to the whole, who's actually running the games? Is it the manager, or is it the his marching orders before the, before the game even started? Yeah, or, or the marching orders sent through the pitching coach, you know what I mean? Is it, you know, it's, you know, to kind of close off since I have to go grade papers for my class. But um, the, the word we hear now is collaboration with everything. So you can never blame anyone for anything. Right. Yeah. That was a group. The group screwed up. It wasn't, it wasn't me. Yeah. Everything's collaboration. So from the Bears, that great collaboration press conference to the White Sox hiring decisions that no one can ever figure out. I know you wanted to ask about Ozzy. Oh yeah, um, yeah. My only one question was why? What was the purpose of the interview? It just had to be to say that they interviewed him, right? Yeah, and I think it's a favor for him because in case he won, I, I, I think I, I mean, he really wanted the job. He yeah. obviously. No, I, I knew from Ozzy's side why he took it. Yeah. I, my question was, why I, I did they grant him an interview? Just because he's going to be around, I yeah. think, and just to show him the respect. And hear what he has to say, and he said he was really honest, which. Listen, I know Ozzy and I know Rick, and like I don't think either of them wanted to work with each other. I mean, Ozzy would work with anyone to get another job, but I don't think they're super big fans of each other. Um, you know, somewhat respectful, I think, that they are to each other, but I, it just wasn't going to work. It didn't make any sense. Like, and also, like, move on, man. Yes, like, Ozzy. Yeah. Ozzy can manage somewhere else. Yeah. Like, you know, he got interviewed for San Diego, and I, he said if he would have. He would have known Melvin got the job. He would have taken like a, a coaching job there because he likes Melvin, respects him. But like, and and they need to move on. Just move on with the Sox. I'm glad. Like, I haunt said he wanted to move on, so just just do it. You don't need to bring bring Ozzy back. Would have been a circus. And like, yeah, maybe he wins. I don't know, but like, it just didn't end well. And like, I don't know. I don't know if Pedro Grafal is going to do it. Like, what he's going to do, but like, it was time. It was time to be done. And Ozzy is great on TV. And they should pay him like a fortune. Yeah, to, to keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. And like we said, the Cubs, Marquis has to look at that White Sox post game and go, "We need something like that." And it, they're just with their current cast of characters, they're never going to get that. But I actually, I don't think they want it. They don't want. No, that. they don't. They look at it like, "Oh my God, why do the whites? Why do the White Sox let that happen?" I think is their reaction yeah. to it. Not, "Oh, the fans really like this," which is should be the idea not the other no i don't think they uh, and, and like you know as a as a frequent contributor marquee I, I do like the people there but um i they don't i don't think that fits with what they what they want to do and i, I know uh, brooks boyer told me i think it was like the president of the twins or someone when they were playing he was watching the post game show and he called brooks he's like what the hell is going on there <laughs> like loved it but he's like how is this on tv like there's no other post game sh- i don't there can't be more than a handful of post game shows that are like that and on regional sports no i'm sure a couple people have you know a couple teams have something like that there can't be many 
where it's like off the rails like that with Ozzy and Chuck's such a good straight man. Occasionally Frank's there, you know, doing Frank things. They got to find even like more characters. They got to find the old other, like bring Bobby Jenks in. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we hit everything that we were going to talk about. Yeah. This is a long podcast. Yeah. Oh, that's what I mean, we like. Cool. So thanks, John. All right. Good times. Many of us have herpes. <laughs> 